Well, I have to say, uh, preparing a message yesterday was somewhat of a challenge, not knowing what was going to happen today. But then I realized, then I realized, well, if we're in-house or live stream, somebody's going to be listening. And if there's one person listening, it's, it's worth it to give them the word of God. I just found out there's 25 people online, so God bless you, those online today. Uh, I wonder if I could ask you this question. What are you doing at home? I'm, no, no, I don't mean, I don't mean like, I mean, what are you, are you sitting at a table? Are you at your dining room table, kitchen table? Are you drinking a cup of coffee? All that's perfectly fine. I mean, you know, what are you doing? I'm just kind of curious. I, I remember some years ago when, when Pamela and I were visiting my mom in New York, we watched the service online. And I was definitely at the dining room table eating while I was watching Bill Unger preach the Word of God. It was great. I loved it. I'm just curious. I'm just nosy. But anyway, you don't have to tell me if you don't want to. Anyway, we are, we are continuing today uh, in our study of 1 John chapter 5. Now, remember, we're coming off of chapter 4, verse 7, through chapter 5, verse 3. That's a long passage of Scripture. Today we have two verses to look at. And I first thought, I don't know, Lord, how can I preach for a long, not, not a long time, how can I preach a full sermon with only two verses? But then I got into it, and I realized, this is, this is a really, I could probably pe- preach two sermons on this, these two verses. But anyway, 1 John 5, and uh, verses 4 and 5. I'm going to read that. If you're at home, take out your Bible or your Bible app. and 1 John 5, verses uh, 4 and 5. For whatever is born of God overcomes the world. And this is our victory that has overcome the world, our faith. Who is he who overcomes the world but he who believes that Jesus is the Son of God? So, Father, Lord God, thank you for these two verses of Scripture. Powerful. Lord, we understand and accept that this is the Word of God. And so, Lord, I pray your blessing upon this sermon. Thank you for giving me something to say. Help me to say it the way you want me to say it. Let it be heard and received and applied the way you want as well. And, Lord, in all things, we trust you will be honored and glorified through the proclamation of your word and that your church would be encouraged and edified and built up a little bit today because of the preaching of your word. So thank you for it. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. I've entitled the message today, Victory in Christ Alone. Victory in Christ Alone. We just sang the song, I'm going to see a victory. Let me read you the lyrics just as a refresher real quickly here. The weapon may be formed, but it won't prosper. When darkness falls, it won't prevail, because the God I serve knows only how to triumph. My God will never fail. Then it goes on, there's power in the mighty name of Jesus. Every war he wages, we, he, he will win. I'm not backing down to any giant. I know how this story ends, and I'm going to see a victory. I'm going to see a victory. This is reminiscent of, of a hymn. And uh, last, week, last Sunday we started the service with a hymn. But I want to I read the, these lyrics and tell me if these sound familiar to you. I heard an old, old story. How a Savior came from glory. How he gave his life on Calvary to save a wretch like me. Sound familiar? I heard about his groaning of his precious blood's atoning. 
Then I repented of my sin and won the victory. Oh, victory in Jesus, my Savior forever. He sought me and he bought me with his redeeming blood. He loved me ere I know him, and all my love is due him. He plunged me to victory beneath the cleansing flood. (laughs) Beneath the cleansing flood. And then it says, I heard about his healing. And I can remember singing this back in the day. Patty, you probably remember. And, 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 you know, I didn't know anything. I'm singing this song. I heard about his healing. Oh, okay. How uh, His his, uh, cleansing power revealing. How he made the lame to walk again and caused the blind to see. Okay, I got that. But then we sang, And then I cried, Dear Jesus, come and heal my broken spirit. And I got to that line. I said, Yes, Lord. I may be healthy physically, but my spirit needs your touch. And and, And somehow Jesus came and brought to me the victory. Third verse, that's a picture of people singing this back in the day. I heard about a mansion. And people start looking at each other. Oh, a mansion. Man, there's a mansion for us. I heard about a mansion he has built for me in glory. And I heard about the streets of gold beyond the crystal sea. About the angels singing in the old redemption story. And some sweet day, I'll sing up there the song of victory. Oh, victory in Jesus. I want to encourage you today to realize we have a victory in Jesus. I want to explain what that means. doesn't mean we'll be problem-free. doesn't mean we won't have issues. It means we'll be overcoming those things because of Christ living within us. And it's uh, it's a glorious realization once it gets into your heart and into your spirit. So we're coming off of three weeks, three weeks of 1 John 4, 7 through 5-3, to love as Christ. And now just two verses, verses 4 and 5, talking about victory, overcoming, fulfilling our calling as children of God. So we're going to look at each verse and, and make application. And bear in mind the context of this passage is really at the end of what we just talked about for the three previous weeks, 4-7 through 5-3. So it's referring to being able to do and get the victory over this whole thing about to love as Christ. And we talked about to love as Christ, meaning to love God, love people as Christ loves, loves us. So when he talks about these two verses in the context of the whole thing, he's referring to what I just told you. You may think it's not doable, but it is absolutely doable. You have the victory over the worldly way because of what Christ did for you. So this is definitely a message for the church, for the born-again believer. So uh, we're going to go through the two verses, and uh, we're going to make some application. He starts out with the word for. So, you know, this is really at the tail end of the previous verses about loving each other. So what he's saying is, like, instead of for, you could say so, or therefore, or because of that. And coming off of uh, verses 2 and 3 you know, loving one another, keep the commandments. You can do this, you know, for, you know, for anyone, for, for, for whatever is born of God. But I want to talk about the word whatever, too, because that's kind of an odd word right there. I would have picked whoever. But he's saying whatever, meaning he's talking about the church. Whatever is born of God, meaning the church is born of God. The church wouldn't exist without God. 
So for whatever is born of God, or I would say whoever or whoever is born of God, whoever is in the church uh, is born of God. As in John 3.16, God so loved the world that whosoever, so whosoever is born of God, um, you know, uh, uh, overcomes. But I want to talk about this phrase, born of God. And I can't get away from it. It's so important to understand what it means to be born of God. I always go back to water baptism, the symbolism involved in water baptism. We go under signifying we're, we die to self, we come out, signifying we're alive to Christ. His, his power is manifested in us, His resurrection power. So those that are born of God are surrendered to God. They die to self, they're alive to God. They're the living analogy of water baptism until they meet Jesus face to face. They're fully consecrated to the Lord. Now, let's go, if you would... Turn with me to Colossians chapter 3. Colossians chapter 3. And this is a great passage of Scripture regarding what it means to be uh, born of God. And for some, you're going to say, yeah, I know that. But for others, or maybe for all of us, we need to have a little reminder. So Colossians chapter 3, starting at verse 1 and 2, it says... If you were raised with Christ, in other words, if you're born of God, if you're born again, you're raised with Christ, seek these things, or those things which are above, where Christ is sitting at the right hand of God. Set your mind on things above, not on things of the earth. So if you're born again, if you're born of God, so in the context of this scripture, we're never going to be overcomers if we don't cherish this whole experience of being born of God, it's got to be the most important thing in our lives. It must be the most important thing. He goes on to to say, look at verse number 5. Therefore, if, if you're raised with Christ, if you're born of God, put to death your members which are on the earth. So I like this this part because Jesus redeems us, sets us free, but then he gives us responsibility to take care of that gift. He says, put to death your members, fornication, uncleanness, passion, evil desire, covetousness, which is idolatry. Verses uh, 8 and 9, but you yourselves also uh, put off all anger and wrath and malice and blasphemy and filthy language out of your mouth. Don't lie to one another since you have uh, put off the old man and his deeds. So if we're living in this way of, of, you know, dying to self all the time, we will get the victory. But it continues in verse number 12. This is Colossians 3, verse 12. Therefore, as the elect of God, holy and beloved, you know, take off those things, but put on tender mercies. Put on kindness, humility, meekness, and long-suffering. Bear with one another. Forgive one another. If anyone has to complain against somebody, even as Christ forgave you, so you must do also. But above all these things, put on love, which is the bond of perfection, and let the peace of God rule in your hearts, to which also you were called in one body, and be thankful. And let the word of Christ dwell in you richly in all wisdom, teaching and admonishing one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing with grace in your heart to the Lord. And whatever you do in word or deed, do it in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through him. 
We're talking about a life change. We're talking about a total different way to live our lives. So back in 1 John, 4, 1 John 5, 4, he says, So whatever, whatever or whoever is born of God. So you have, but you have to understand, I would say being born of God and continue to be born of God. It's an ongoing relationship. It's a daily relationship. You know, it's not like you get born of God like in, uh, you know, 19 whatever or 2000 whatever. No, it's an ongoing experience. But he who, he who is born of God overcomes the world. Well, that's, that's a lot right there. But the world, if you go back to chapter 2, 1 John 2, verses 15 through 17, it says, Do not love the world or the things in the world. If anyone loves the world, the love of the Father is not in him. For all that is in the world, the lust of the flesh... The lust of the eyes and the pride of life is not of the Father, but, but is of the world. And the world is passing away, and the lust of it, but he who does the will of God abides forever. So he's saying, uh, he who overcomes, you know, he, he, he who is born of God overcomes the world, and I want to clarify, the worldly system of things. The lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, the pride of life. We love people in the world. Right? We have to love people in the world. But we don't love, we don't embrace the way of the world. So he says, if whoever is born of God, living in that relationship, overcomes the worldly way. So I looked up this phrase, overcomer, in my full life study Bible. This is what they said regarding that, that topic. An overcomer is one who by God's grace received through faith in Christ, has experienced the new birth and remains constant in his or her victory over sin, the world, and Satan. So an overcomer refuses to conform to the world and ungodliness. And an overcomer stays faithful to Christ until the end, abiding in his word and maintaining their testimony until Jesus takes them home. But we have to understand what that really means. How do we do that? We maintain our testimony by the blood of the Lamb. We, can, we don't have a testimony unless we're cleansed and purged by the blood of the Lamb. And not only the blood of the Lamb, but the resurrection of Jesus. So we either overcome evil through Christ who got the victory, or we're overcome by evil by Satan and principalities and our own flesh. So verse number four, whoever is born of God overcomes the world, the worldly system, yes, but in the context, this is what, this is what gets me about this. In the context of chapter four, verse seven through five, verse three, it refers to the ungodly and worldly way that many relationships are established in the world. Such as favoritism, jealousies, bitterness, being judgmental, prejudices, hatred, belittling, dislike, no love, putting people down. And so he's saying that the way of the world, you've overcome that way of thinking because you're born of God. You have a different mind, you have a different heart, you have a different way that you're looking at people than you did before. 
Do things happen? Yeah. But you ever notice, like, even in a church setting or in a, in, a, in a Christian setting, if there's a problem with people, the Scriptures makes it very clear. Jesus said, if there's a problem, go talk it out. You know, talk to each other. Work it out. And, and live, live at peace. Do all you can to live at peace. Whereas in the worldly way, you know the stories of, even in families, there's such discord in, in some families and some relationships. But as a Christian, we've overcome that way of thinking and we have a victory through Jesus Christ. I, I recently heard a preacher um, that was talking about salvation. And he started to use some words that I thought were interesting. He said, salvation can be equated with deliverance. Now, I, I come from, like, the Pentecostal school. You get saved, and then if you have to, you get delivered from whatever. You know what I mean? Like, whatever it is, some addiction, even smoking or drink, whatever. You get delivered after you get saved. But he was saying, when you get saved, you actually get delivered. And he's right about that. We get delivered from the, the, the pull of the worldly system. We're, we're set free of that. We die to self, and we live for the Lord. I mean, that doesn't discount, like, Philippians... 2.12, that we must work out our salvation with fear and trembling, we may have to get delivered of some little things down the road. But when we accept Christ, the chain to the world is broken. And we are set free to serve the living God. We may have some wrinkles. We may have some stuff. Well, we all have some stuff. But we're delivered from that pull uh, and, and that, that authority that the world has over us. So being delivered, uh, we're delivered from the the hand of Satan in flesh, and we're delivered over to the hand of God at salvation. That's why we can say, 2 Corinthians 5, 17, if anyone is in Christ, anybody, you know, Paul wrote it, he, he, was, he knew how he was, but if anyone is in Christ, they're a new creation. All things have passed away. Behold, all things have become new. We are now in position to be delivered of all the little fine-tuning that has to happen after we're delivered from the worldly system and the worldly way. So if we're truly born of God, we can overcome the worldly way. And I, I like looking at a few things that John wrote already in this epistle. We have, we have two things, a purpose and we have a plan. Do you know we have a purpose in life right now? In 1 John 3, 1 John 3, 3, John is writing, we don't know what's going to happen, we don't know what we're going to be like, but when Jesus comes, we're going to be like him. He said, if anyone who has this hope in him purifies himself. Let me ask you a question. Do you have that hope in you? We were talking a lot about, you know, the second coming because of the pandemic and everything else that's going crazy in the world. And you have to wonder, is, is Jesus coming? Are you ready for His coming? Do you have that hope in your spirit? If you have that hope in your spirit, you purify yourself. This is our, this is our, our, our purpose, to live a holy life before God. Can I, can I stress that enough? We're, we're, not, we're called to be different. The world is corrupt. You know it is. It's, it's passing away. It's, it's not right. But we're called to be a holy people. And we purify our heart in anticipation that God saved me. I want to be ready when he returns. That's our purpose, 
to live a holy life. And our plan to live a holy life, I always say this is our escape clause in 1 John 1, 9, that if we confess our sins, He's faithful to forgive us. So there's always that way out to maintain a life of holiness. So we have a purpose and we have a plan and, and uh, our lives must be characterized by confession, repentance. Uh, and, and echoing in my heart is what our dear brother Richard, Richard Andriosa used to say all the time, keep short accounts with God. If you blow it, confess it and move on as fast as you can. Don't let it uh, linger. Don't let it create something more in your heart. Confess it and move, move along in your walk with God. And I would say this is an ongoing lifestyle until... Let me just think about Gary Feldman for a minute. As much as I miss the brother, and that, his passing affected me. We were close in that we did a lot of music together. Talked a lot. But now his battle's over. Not only his physical battle, the battle against this thing we're talking about is over. He's with the Lord. So I can rejoice because I know he's at peace with God right now. He's at rest with God. But see, this is our battle. This is our struggle. It's ongoing until that day. I remember when I was younger, I knew some older guys that were probably in their 70s or 80s, and they were telling me things that they can't get involved with at that point in their life. And I was thinking, man, I thought, to myself, I thought by now those issues would have been taken care of. And I never said it, but, but, you know, life is filled with temptations and trials and angst and stuff. I have to tell you, I was dealing with it yesterday. With I'm looking out the window, seeing a blizzard, saying, Lord, why on a Saturday? Could it be on a Friday? Or a Monday? Or not, not that. It's going to affect Sunday. And I was like, oh. And, and oh, no one's going to come anyway. All this stuff going through my mind. So we deal with stuff like that. But, you know, we just keep going. And, and we have a plan. Live a holy life. If you blow it, confess it to the Lord and keep on going. So the world system is fallen. It's corrupt. You see it all over the place. You see it in politics. You see it in corporate America. You see it in the stock market. You see it in the economy. You see it in, in families without Christ. You, you know, you, you have to think about it when you go to Market Basket or wherever. You hear language. You, you hear people's belief systems. You, 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 you notice people's priorities, people's morality. Not just market basket, but I mean in culture. You see, if you, 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 you discern someone's heart. You discern someone's, you know, like, like how they think, how they feel. And you realize, man, thank God I, I'm so different than that. Not that I'm better, but I'm redeemed and I see it differently. And so, so the world system is it's bad, it's corrupt. But if you're born of God, the scripture says, if you're born of God, if you're born again, that I didn't even mention, if the Holy Spirit's living in you, you're born of God. You've cut, a, you've cut your roots to the world. You're born of God. You can, you can now overcome the world and the worldly system. So when I think of it that way, my goodness, we could get into a whole thing. There's no excuse for not having the victory. The only excuse we have is, I'm weak. And I struggle. And uh, someone might say, it was how I was brought up. Well, whatever. But, you know, we really have no excuse because the victory is ours 
if we latch on to Jesus Christ. So verse number, and so, so what I talked about so far is what you would say verse 4a. All that was verse 4a, right? Whatever is born of God overcomes the world. That, all that I said had to do with that. The second part of verse 4 is verse 4b. This is the victory that has overcome the world, our faith. Well, that needs some explanation, I would say. What do you mean? The victory is our faith? How do we get the victory? What kind of faith are we talking about? I, I, I will say this. It's not an abstract. You ever hear people, oh, I believe in God. Just don't talk to me about Jesus. It's like, whoa. It's not an abstract faith in a higher being or a higher power. It's, 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 it's a focused faith on Jesus Christ his life, his death, his resurrection, his ascension, his promised return, his power, his anointing. And so there's a connection between the victory and our faith. But our faith in Christ provides the basis for our victory over the world system. We could never accomplish this without tapping in and receiving what Christ has done for us. Everything has to do with Jesus. That's why we can never leave room in our own personal theology to be prideful. We have nothing to give to, to this. If we could have fixed it before, who would have needed Jesus to go to the cross? God knows, you know, that would never, we would never have anything. Paul wrote some interesting things. Let me share a couple of scriptures. 1 Corinthians fifteen fifty seven. Paul writes... Thanks be to God who gives us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. That's great scripture. But you know what he's talking about? He's talking about victory over death. Gary Feldman died physically. He's alive spiritually. I could just picture Gary singing his heart out right now. Singing, dancing, praising God. I could picture it. As a musician, I, I could see him entering the worship section, if there is such a thing. But we, we have this victory over death because we have accepted what Jesus did for us. He died, but he lives. His death and his resurrection. He defeated death. So when Paul writes in, in, some of his, in Romans, for instance, in Romans 6, 4, he said, we were buried with him through baptism. And let me just encourage you to remember your baptism day. Or evening. I remember, I remember some of you that were baptized here. Glorious time. I remember my baptism, my water baptism. I, I cherish the moment. I really do. But he says, we were buried with him through baptism into death. How much clearer can we get? When we were baptized, why would we get baptized? Well, Jesus said to be baptized. But why would we do that? To demonstrate what already happened in our heart. But we were buried with him through baptism into death. That just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, even so, we should walk in newness of life. I was always intrigued by the words, we should. It doesn't say we will, because we have our own willpower to make these decisions. But we should, because Jesus did it all for us. He died and, and lives, so we died that we may live. Romans 10, 9 says, If you confess with your mouth the Lord Jesus and believe that Christ arose from the dead, you will be saved. 
In 1 Corinthians 15, 17. 1 Corinthians 15 is a great chapter regarding the resurrected Christ and our benefits from that. But verse 17 says, If Christ is not risen, your faith is futile and you're still in your sins. So if we don't serve a risen Savior, forget it. There's no point. But verse 21 says, But now Christ is risen from the dead and has become the firstfruits of those who have fallen asleep. So he's risen to be with you know, the Father, but he's the first one, and we will follow suit later on. That's why Paul says, and we shared this last week, but it's no longer I that live, but it's Christ that lives in me. I, don't live, I, I died to myself. And for Paul to die to himself, in my opinion, was a big deal. Paul was pretty much a zealot. You know, He was a Pharisee. He was a zealot. He was strong in what he believed, but it was all about what he wanted to do, and God humbled him he realizes it's no longer him that's living, it's Christ that lives in me. So we live vicariously through Jesus Christ. In other words, we, live, we put our life into his hands, and we now live our life on earth, not with our own strength and power, but through his strength and power. I love some scriptures that say, for instance, that God has chosen the foolish things of the world to confound the wise. Why? I think, it, I think the Lord enjoys, uh, what's the word? Um, not fooling, but just, just showing people what he can do with the least of us. And we're all the least of us. But he takes we foolish people of the world and fills us with his spirit and his presence to confound the wise. And Jesus said, if you have faith like a mustard seed, you can move a mountain. So, verse number four, whoever is born of God overcomes the world. This is the victory that has overcome the world, our faith. So let me ask you a question. How is your faith today? Those of you at home, how is your faith? How is your faith? Uh, last Thursday, when we had Thursday talk, uh, my granddaughter Ella brought a devotional to the table, which she does every week. And uh, I always find out about five minutes to 12 what the topic is. It starts at 12. It's okay. We flow. <laughs> but she said, uh, she said, Pop, we're going to talk about the Battle of Jericho. I said, oh, great. Okay. I'm thinking, okay, they praised and the walls fell down. No, no, okay. She said, the thing was, it wasn't an immediate victory. It didn't come right away. I'm thinking, well, I'm thinking... I said, well, okay, we'll talk about it. So we're, we go on at 12 o'clock, and we read the story. She has all these notes written down. And she gets into this whole thing. It wasn't a quick victory. And I said, Ella, explain that. Well, they had to march around the city for six days. All the army and all the, all they were, all the big ordeal of walking around, and they, were, and they had to be obedient. So they did one day, and they were all tired and stressed out. Then they had to go back at the second day and do the same thing. And again, they're marching around the city, and they're obedient. No one's saying anything. And for six days, they had to do this. Now, she's getting pretty animated. You know, now we're getting into the story. It wasn't a quick victory. Six days, they had to do this. All the commotion involved. On the seventh day, they had to march around it seven times. So she said... They must have got up really early that day and, and walked around really till late at night because seven times is a long time. It took them a long time to do it one time. And then they had to 
they had to blow all those trumpets and they had to shout really loud and and then the walls fell down. And so, see, faith, like we, we have a mentality like, God, I want it, I want it now. If you don't do it now, forget about it. No, our faith carries us through the long haul. I mean, you know, seven days, is that so long? Well, when you're dealing with an army, yeah, that's a long time. What about waiting for something for seven years? Ten years or longer. It's all a test. Everything's a test. You know, we said this, uh, when did I say it? Oh, yeah, getting ready for our annual report for the business meeting. With all the changes of last year and all the things that happened, you know, everything's different. But one thing, one person has never changed one drop. Jesus Christ. The whole world has changed. He has not changed. So the question now becomes, how is our faith to trust God when we don't see what we want to see? Or we don't feel what we want to feel? How is our faith in God? I just want to encourage you to keep trusting. Keep holding on to the anchor. Because obedience, trust, and faith all work together. Romans 10, 17, you know this. Paul wrote, uh, faith comes by hearing, and hearing by the word of God. But can we talk about hearing? Because in that context, the Jews heard it, but they didn't really do it. He's talking about when you hear it, you receive it. It changes you. It's not like you just hear something. You, you, you hear it, you apply it, you, you, you let it cut you. You let it change you. And so faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God. And through that hearing, the Holy Spirit works in us and then we have the opportunity to be obedient to what he's talking about. So when we go back to say 1 John three fourteen, which I won't turn to, but it says, by this you know you pass from death to life by how you love one another. Wow. Our faith is tested and demonstrated by how we love the body of Christ. So 1 John, 1 John 5, 4 and 1 John 3, 14 are connected and related. It's personal, straight, personal faith demonstrated through our relationships with people. All right, so that's verse number four. A lot of stuff there. Let me read it one more time, then we'll do verse number five. But verse number five is a little bit quicker. Whatever is born of God overcomes the world. I just have to comment on that. Whatever, whatever you know, if there's your, your, your thing, your, the one thing, the one stumbling block, whatever the issue is, whatever. But if you're born of God... Truly, you, you can overcome. You, will, you are an overcomer. You overcome the worldly system that says that that thing that you think about or do is okay when you know it's not okay based on the word of God. Anyway, this is the victory that has overcome the world, our faith. I, I could talk about that another little minute because why, why do we do that over there with those missionaries? 
Well, I don't know those people in those countries. I don't know all those missionaries that we support. I know most of them, but I don't know them well. But see, we've overcome the feeling of what's the use because of our faith. The use is, if one person hears the gospel, it's worth it. So I'll give my money, I'll say my prayers, I'll send those people out, because my faith, our faith, has overcome the world system that says, that's a waste of time. It's not a waste of time. It's a waste of time to the world, but to the church, it's what we do. It's so important. So verse number five. Who is he who overcomes the world, but he who believes that Jesus is the Son of God? Who who is born of God? Only those that believe that Jesus is the Son of God. Well, we have to talk about that just for a minute because a lot of people say they believe in Jesus. Paul said in Romans 1.17, the just shall live by faith in Jesus. But it's, how can I say, it's not just belief, it's, it's living it, it's, it's banking your life on it. It's, it's, uh, it's dying to yourself daily and living for the Lord daily, receiving living water, the living water of His Spirit. So yeah, th- those that believe that Jesus is the Son of God, yeah, they're the ones that are overcomers. However, in James chapter 2, we, we read this scripture that just blows everybody's mind. You believe in God? Bravo, he says. Demons believe in God too. And they shudder. And then he says something very interesting. He says, and I, wanted, I wrote it down so I would quote it the right way. So you believe in God, you do well. But even demons believe and they shudder. But do you want to know, oh foolish man, that faith without works is dead? Oh my goodness. Now here we go back into this thing again. Where we believe in Jesus, yeah, you know, we believe in Jesus. Well, demons believe in Jesus too, so we need some clarification here. Oh, foolish man, James said. Oh, fool, don't you know, oh, foolish man, that your faith without works is dead. It means nothing. You're not saved by your works, but you do works because you're saved. You can't have a faith that's not activated, that's not moving and working and, and, and making you think about things to do for the kingdom of God. You can't have, that's not a real faith. A real faith is, a, is an engaging faith that our lives are changed, our mind is inspired. We're, we, we sacrificially do things for the kingdom of God. Why? Because we realize this is the right way to live. Harder, but it's the right way to live. We live that way. God is nowhere quick. This is the right way to live. And so faith without works is dead. But, but then you have to ask the question, well, okay, he who overcomes the world is he that believes that Jesus is the Son of God, but we have to have works. What kind of works? So in the context of this passage, look at this, verse 421. This commandment we have from him, that he who loves God must love his brother also. Jesus said, a new commandment I give you, that you love one another. It's a commandment. So it's like, it's like a thing that we do. We love one another because we're commanded to love each other. The greatest commandment is to love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength and love your neighbor as yourself. So then you have to think about, okay, so we have this commandment going on. We have to do something with our faith. And I would say we have to love people 
like the way Jesus loved people. Is that a tall order? Yeah. It is a very tall order. When you think about how did Jesus love you? I think about how Jesus loves me and loved me at the time when salvation occurred. It was very intense that he loved me as I was at the moment, which was not a whole lot. (laughs) But I knew he loved me. So I think about these things like, okay, when Jesus put his hands on the leper, which no one did, and healed him, he, he loved this guy with compassion. He loved unconditionally. He didn't wait till the guy got better. He loved persistently. When you read John 4, that whole story of the woman at the well, that's a long dialogue. Someone should write a play about that, one chapter. That would take an hour and a half to present it properly in my mind. Pamela, I don't know, I'm giving you something to think about. The woman at the well. What, what a story it would be. Well, they had dialogue. He didn't just let her go. He kept asking these questions like, bring your husband over here. Really? I don't have a husband. You're right, you, had, you, know, you have five. And he loved, Jesus loved sincerely. I think in, in Luke chapter 18, the encounter he had with the rich young ruler Great little, you know, snippet of a story. But Jesus poured out his heart to this young guy. And and, uh, the young guy was not willing to flow. And the young man walked away sadly. Why was he sad? He knew Jesus was sincerely telling him something he needed to hear, but he wasn't ready to hear it. So Jesus loves sincerely. He loves personally. Hey, Zacchaeus, you tax collector that everyone hates, Today, I'm going to have dinner with you. Come on down out of the tree. I want to spend some time with you. He loved personally. He loved demonstratively by feeding the multitudes, healing the sick, healing the blind, performing miracles, engaging people, rich or poor. You have to read it in the Gospels. He wasn't afraid of those rich Pharisees. He spent time with Nicodemus and and others. Good and bad, young and old, Jew and Gentile didn't matter. So if we, if we believe, back to verse number five, if we believe that Jesus is the Son of God, if we actively believe and demonstratively believe that Jesus is the, is the, the Son of God, we will definitely love one another, appreciate one another, and we will also love the lost. Because when we meet lost people, guess what? We see ourselves in them. Don't you? I do all the time. I meet people all the time, and there's something about them. It reminds me of me. You know, there's something, there's some connection. I could relate to them. And so this is all really, so, so who is he who overcomes the world, but he who believes that Jesus is the Son of God? Yeah, absolutely. So let me wrap this up. I'm going to give you three things. So this is what, I don't know if you wrote anything down, but here, here's the three things. If we want victory in Christ alone, Right? Based on this, we must be truly born again. Now, uh, who's the judge of that? That's between all of us and God. I, I'm not going to judge anybody. I don't know if you're born again or not. I mean, I think I know, but I don't really know. But John, uh, Jesus told Nicodemus in John 3.3, 3, you must be born again. If you want to see heaven, you must be born again. 
That's the beginning of the victory. And I would say, you got to stay born again. You have to stay born again. 2 Corinthians 4, 7, Paul wrote, said, you have this gift of God's love in your heart in an earthen vessel. You have it, you're, you're, you're living it out in flesh and blood, but you're born again. You know, you're living your life. You know, you're serving God. You have to stay born again. You have to stay in God's good graces. Philippians 2.12, I, I shared it earlier, but we have to work out our salvation with fear and trembling. I would say, can we not settle for where we are? You know? Whatever, whatever's... Like, if you, if you could list the five things that are troubling you, can we not settle to accept those five things? Can we strive to overcome those five things? We must. We must be overcomers. So I would say embrace your faith and, and live it to the full. Live your Christian faith to the full. Here, here's a quote. The greater your surrender, the greater your victory. Limited surrender, limited victory. But surrender everything, and not just once, <laughs> the greater the victory. It's just the way God works. He doesn't make us do anything, but the greater we surrender, the, you go back to Colossians 3, the greater we crucify the old man, the greater we live as the new man. That's our responsibility. So, victory in Christ alone. Number one, you must be born again. Those of you at home, you know, you must be and, and maintain your born again relationship with the Lord. The second thing is this. We must live in the resurrection power of Christ. We were never designed to fight this fight and do all these things in our own strength. That's where most of us get into a lot of trouble. 1 Corinthians 15, 57, I read it earlier, but thanks be to God who gives us the victory through Christ Jesus. The resurrected Christ Jesus. The one who died and rose again on the third day. The one who ascended into heaven 40 days later. The one who promised he's coming back again. And what a glorious day that will be, church, when Jesus bursts on the clouds again to come back. But see, we have to be living in this resurrection power that he has for us. He's, now that's verse 57, 1 Corinthians 15, 57. 1 Corinthians 15, 58 says this, Therefore, since we have the victory in Christ, hallelujah, my beloved brethren, this is what he says, be steadfast, immovable, abounding in the work of the Lord, knowing that your labor is not in vain. And this is exactly how uh, uh, Christian people do wonderful things for the kingdom of God. Not in their strength, but in the resurrection power of Christ living within them. We died with him at the cross. We arose with him with the empty tomb. We're different now, but you, we have to maintain that resurrection power that Christ has for us. How did, how did Paul say, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me? How? Because of the resurrection power that's living in us. It's no longer I that live, it's Christ living in me. And the life that I live now in the flesh, I live through the Son of God who loved me and gave his life for me. 
And then the third one would be this. If we want victory in Christ alone, I say this a little cautiously, but I think it's true. I believe it's true. We must keep his commandments. They're not uh, prerequisites for salvation. Uh, they might be prerequisites for keeping salvation and keeping it to the full. But, you know, we read verse 21 of chapter 4. Chapter 5 says, By this we know that we love the children of God when we love God and keep his commandments. For this is the love of God that we keep his commandments. His commandments are not burdensome. You know, John, John's not talking about the ten. He's talking about the, the new commandment, to love one another. The greatest commandment, love God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. Love your neighbor as yourself. So there's a lot there. But if we want to have the victory, we must be born again. We must live in the resurrection power of Christ. And we must keep his commandments. So let me read verses 4 and 5 again. If you can, read along with me if you can. I'm reading New King James, by the way. For whatever is born of God overcomes the world. And this is the victory that has overcome the world, our faith. Who is he who overcomes the world but he who believes that Jesus is the Son of God? Can we stand together? Those of you at home, just try to get a, a quiet spot for a couple of minutes and let's just get alone with God as we, as we wrap up this message. The message is entitled Victory in Christ Alone. Some of you, some here, some of you at home, might be struggling and saying, man, I just can't overcome. And the word of God says, yes, you can. Don't give up the fight. If you fall, get back up again as fast as you can. If you fall, surround yourself with godly people that will pick you up. I always go back to the story of John Mark, the one who fled Gethsemane that night, the one who caused a great division between Paul and Barnabas because he didn't want to stay on the mission field. John Mark aligned himself with Peter, and be Peter became his spiritual father, and he was Peter's spiritual son. So if there's trouble, if there's issues, come into the body of Christ and let the, let, the, let the body of Christ surround you and love you and pray for you and nurture you. So the first thing is this, every head bowed. Is there anyone here or anyone at home today? Maybe someone's at home uh, watching with, with a member of the church. You know, that could very well be the case. There may be a few people watching this that are not a part of the church, but they're, they're there because of the person who is with them is a member of the church. Well, maybe you need to become born again. And let me tell you something. Being born again is the most wonderful thing that God could do for us. This is the greatest miracle that we'll ever see performed by God, by a, uh, by exemplified by a changed life. Not only externally, but internally, a person is different because of Christ living within them. So if someone needs to be born again, we're going to pray for that in a few minutes. And then the other commandment was, you know, love God, but love your neighbor. You know, love your neighbor. Uh, love those outside of the church, uh, in your neighborhood, at your workplace or whatever, in your community. Love people. Just love people. And so you may say, man, I can't, I don't, I have to overcome this because I don't like people. 
I've had people tell me they don't like people because they've been hurt. But see, if you're born again, you, you overcome that feeling because of, not because of you, but because of Christ in you. The resurrection power in you makes you see people differently the way God sees people. So you may, may need help loving people. And then loving one another, the, the new commandment was, Jesus said at the Last Supper, a new commandment I give you, that you love one another. All the world will know you're my disciples by the love you have for one another. So love within uh, the body of Christ. So I'm going to pray. If you're here or at home, if you want to bow your head uh, and just pray this prayer in your spirit. Dear Father, Lord, we hear your word today that says that the ones with the victory, the ones that are overcoming this worldly way with all its sorrows and problems are those that are born of God. So Lord, right now, we come to this place where, Lord, uh, we just surrender to you right now. We admit we're sinners. We admit we, we fall short of your glory. We admit we need a savior. So Lord, we open up our heart and we receive you, Lord Jesus, as our personal Lord and savior and the master of our lives. We confess our sins before you. We ask you, Lord, cause us to be born again into your kingdom. And Lord, let, let there be a transfer of who owns us, the world or the spirit. Let us be owned by you, O oh God. We don't want to be owned and controlled by the world. We want to be owned by you, Lord. So we surrender to your lordship. We receive you as Lord and Savior. We believe, based on our confession of faith, that we are born again as we receive Christ as our personal Lord and Savior. Father, we also want to pray that we would have a love for people, even difficult people, people that live a lifestyle that we would never embrace ourselves, but we could see that person as someone that you created, Lord. Help us to see them the way you see them. Help us, Lord, to love even those in our families that we may not feel close to because of different things. But let us love people that are not serving you. They're not Christians, or they're maybe they're nominally Christian. But we pray, Lord, that you would put a passion in our heart to love other people. And Lord, also we want to pray that we would begin to love those in the church with a with a, a sincerity as we recognize each other's value. And Lord, we're talking about maybe people in this church, but maybe people in another church, maybe people that we fellowship with, maybe people we don't even know, but we know they go to church and they're Christian people. They may have a little bit different belief system than we do, but they do believe in you. Help us, Lord, to love people that are in Christ. Help us, Lord, to see value in people that are in Christ. Help us, Lord, to appreciate that the church is huge. And, and you're, you're calling us to live a pure life in that context. So, Lord, we, we ask for your help to love Christian people the way you would want us to. Lord, in, in, our, in our closing here, Lord God, we just pray. I said it earlier. I ask you, Lord, to renew the purpose in our hearts today. 1 John 3, 3. That as we have this hope of your return in our hearts we will purify ourselves. We'll get ready for your return. 
Lord, help us to, to live that way. Let that be our purpose, to live a holy life consecrated to you as we await your return. And Lord, the plan is, 1 John 1, 9, that if we sin, if we do something that violates the word of God, let us quickly, quickly repent and confess and move on from that space. Let us live with a clean record, Lord, as you remind us to live close to you in that way. So Lord, thank you for this time and uh, thank you, Lord, that we could gather in church and on the live stream. We pray, Lord, your blessing over everyone. Let us be safe as we recover from this blizzard. Uh, let us all be well today. Um, let us rest well tonight and get ready for the day and the week tomorrow. And Lord, we give you all praise and glory, but Lord, we also look for the opportunities you're going to give us to share this love with other people. So thank you, Lord. This we pray. In Jesus' name, amen and amen. Praise the Lord. All right, well, God bless you. Thank you for joining us. Thank you for being here, everybody. I'll shake your hand in just a minute. <laughs> but God bless you on live stream. We'll see you soon.